going to ask you um, if you were going to pull a little audible here today and jump off of our, leave our study of John just for a day and uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 if you would so kindly flip over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. All right. For some reason I started thinking for some reason. The, uh, I was thinking about fathers. I know why the reason was. And I just started looking at something in the scriptures and I thought, you know, that's a... That'll, that'll preach. Maybe I should do that and pull a little audible here. First Thessalonians 1, verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're happy, say amen. amen. All right, the volume got better. I was a little nervous there. I wasn't sure if I was going to get a decrease. But uh, let's look at First Thessalonians 1. And I'm just going to read the first half of the first verse. Paul, um, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus... Unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father. Now, when thinking doctrinally, we often think about God the Father. When we think about his position and his relationship among the Godhead, you know, we know for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, right? So we think about God, the Father. I know he's the Father, right? Paul says, I bow my knees to the Father, right? Amen. But keep reading the verse. It says, after the colon, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. So, when thinking doctrinally, yeah, I, I recognize that God is the Father of us all, in terms of that, if we're saved, but when it becomes personal, and we start taking it personal, and we think about the things like grace and peace that a father kind of meets out to his children, Paul mentions God, our Father. That's what we call a personal pronoun, right? A possessive personal pronoun. That means he's our father if we're saved. And, and 17, times in his, 17 times in his writings to the churches and pastors, the Apostle Paul in those church epistles refers to God, our father. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 1. Can you go back there, 1 Corinthians 1? Go to 1 Corinthians. We'll just look at a couple and then we'll pray. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 2. Let me ask this question to see if you're awake or not. But do you know that if you're saved, God, let me do it with a big echo. God, 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 God. You know, not the big man upstairs, but God Almighty, God, 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 is your Father. Right? All right, let me try that again. Do you know that if you're saved, God, as, Ray, as Pastor Mel used to say, God is your Father. First Corinthians 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, O Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. If that's you today, if you're in the church of God today, if you're sanctified in Christ Jesus today, if you're called a saint according to the scriptures today, not Saint Margaret, Saint Anthony, but Saint Patrick, Saint, you know, Jack, you know, say anybody that's doing these things, everyone that's called upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, whether you were in Corinth or in Aberdeen today, guess what? God is your father. 
That's what the verse says, right? Now look at Galatians chapter 3. Flip a couple of books to the right. Galatians chapter 3. Verse number 26. He says to this church, see it with me? Say amen. You're there in Galatians 3? Okay. For ye are all the children of God, period. No, it doesn't stop there. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I may look dumb, but I'm not stupid. That means... If you put your faith in Christ Jesus to call upon him as your savior, you're a child of God. Amen? We got that? That's not a stretch of any imagination, right? Okay, that also means that if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ to save your wretched soul, you are not a child of God and God is not your father. Oh, I didn't get as many amens there. But if one is true, then the converse has got to be true, right? If, if, if you call upon him, then he's your father. If you haven't called upon him, he's not your father. So who's your daddy today? <laughs> is it God or is it somebody else, right? If you had your faith in Jesus Christ, God is your father. But don't go out there. God is not all our father. It's a nice thought. It's politically correct. It makes everybody happy and doesn't get anybody, anybody's feathers ruffled. But when I go to, if I stop at Lavodi's or something, if they get something to stuff in my face on the way home, all those people in there may be creations. I should have talked about food. Why did I talk about food so early in the message? Right? But all those people in there, though they might be nice people, and they're all creations of God, they're not all children of God. When you get saved, which means when you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to be the payment for your sin, God moves you from sinner to son, and your relationship changes. Now, you can recite the Our Father all you want, but only God's people, only God's church can really call upon God, our Father. Right? Right? People, say that. people are saying the Our Father all over the world today. You're reciting it in your head right now. I used to say it in French every day in French class. I've forgotten that, thankfully. I, no, I remember it, Dom. <laughs> you know, but reciting our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, blah, 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 right? Reciting that doesn't make him your father any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car, okay? You've got to have a relationship and be a new creature, Right? And when you got saved, God became your father. And now we corporately can call upon God, our Father, Amen. who's in heaven, his name is holy, etc., etc., etc. But here's my question that was all preamble. What does that mean? What does it mean, God's our Father? Like, like how do we understand our new relationship to God as a church, as a body, as God's people? I mean, some of us have godly fathers or had godly fathers, and it might be easy to relate and perceive God as your father. Some of these things might translate very easily for you. Some of us may not have been so blessed. It might be a little harder to relate to God our Father. But you know what the Bible does? The Word of God gives you four comparisons to God as our Father. That phrase, as a father appears four times in your Bible. 
And when you see a fourfold mention in your Bible, it's God trying to like build something, establish something, kind of teach you something. And so we're going to look at those similitudes today, one, two, three, and four. And as we consider this fourfold mention of God as our Father, we're going to build a better understanding of God, our Father. So that's the title of the message today, God, our Father. We're just going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. And I hope it's a blessing. Let's pray today. Father, we love you today. We thank you today, Lord. We just praise you today. Thank you, Lord, I can call you Father today. And Lord, help me to lay hold of these things that you as a good father do. Help me to really trust who you say you are, not what I think or what I've been damaged by other people to think, Father. Help us to believe and trust and just rest in your loving arms today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're not going to look at a lot of verses. Go to Psalm 103, please. We're just going to walk through. You could, have, you, could have, you could cheat sheet my message and just search the phrase as a father, and you would know exactly where I'm going, because those fourfold mention teaches us about God as our fathers. Psalm 103. Go to verse number eight. Number one about God our Father, and this is the best one, I think. That's why God starts here. God our Father, you with me say amen. amen. God our Father amen. pities his children. Amen. He pities his children. Look at Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. You know, we get the idea that our Father in heaven is angry all the time. We get the idea that our Father in heaven is angry with us all the time. That he's got this great big baseball bat and he's just sitting there ready to crack us the minute we step out of line. The minute we kind of like walk outside the narrow lines of his lane he wants us driving in. And that is so far from the truth. You know, we have some of those ideas, and I'm just going to be totally honest with you. We have some of those ideas because a lot of us came out of a religion, amen, that said, God's angry. You got to speak to his mother, right? Speak to Mary because you can't go right to God. He's angry at you. He's, he's, he's too busy for you. He's just, he's just so angry. He just sits up there and the smoke's coming out of his nostrils and he's got lightning bolts that he's throwing down to smoke people. Speak to mom, right? Speak to mom. You can get around the angry dad if you just speak to mom. That's the wrong idea. I don't speak to mom. There is no mom. Right? God doesn't have a mom. <laughs> you know what else? We have... We've read too much mythology. And in Greek mythology and Roman mythology, you know the gods of the pantheon are predicted as fickle and cruel monsters up there. They just play with people. They mess with people. They zap people. They come down and sleep with people and torment them. That's the gods of imagination. That's the satanic gods of the pantheon. And those things have influenced us for millennia. We think God is like that, this fickle, sadistic, cruel little taskmaster. But look at verse number 10. He, the God of the Bible, your father, hath not dealt with us after our sins, <laughs> nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Hallelujah. That's my father right there. 
He's not looking to bust you. He's not looking to break you. He's not looking to grind you down and wear you out. He loves you with an everlasting love so much that he put his son on a stick, naked to die for six hours in public humiliation. Why? So he could take those sins away from you and have a relationship with you. That's some father. That's not Zeus. Zeus wants to come down and kind of mess with your wife. That's what Zeus did. That's not the God of religion. The God of religion make you crawl on your knees and broken glass and hope that might appease him. Make you wear a coat of mail or flagellate yourself and kind of hit yourself and beat yourself like a monk somewhere. And maybe then, or just give up like, you know, give up Hershey kisses for every Friday for 40 days. And maybe then God will somehow be really impressed with you if, you know, you bleed or something. Like in the Philippines, if you put yourself on a cross yourself, then maybe God will be like, wow, no, no, no. My God put himself on a cross. That's my father. That's my God. Right? You see, God is angry with the wicked, the Bible says. But you've got a new relationship to God if you're saved. God took you when you got saved out of the lost column and put you in the saved column, out of the stranger column and put you in the son column, out of the sinner column and put you in the saint column. He passed you from death unto life when you got saved. Man, I got to get that. When you trusted the son of God, you became a part of the son's body, which makes you a son by faith in Jesus Christ. And as a son, can you look at verse 13? Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. God our Father, who did all that, pities his children. You know what pity is? I like pity. It's compassion. It's mercy. It's kindness. It's warmth, simpatico, right? It's, the, it's, it's love and all those great things wrapped up with that. Now, let me tell you how the devil works because he, he did it. He tipped his hand in the book of Job. You know how the devil works? He tries to get you to think God is mean. And God, he's done it since the garden, folks. <laughs> he tempted Adam and Eve by thinking, look what he's holding back from you. Look what he hasn't given you. Look what everybody else has, but you don't have. He told, he told God, I'm going to take Job's stuff and he's going to curse you to your face, God. And then he touched his body and he put him in some pain. He said, I'm going to put him in some pain. And when he's in that pain, he's going to curse you to your face, God. But we got to remember who God is. God is a merciful God. God is a kind God. Because if you and I got what God should give us, we'd be all torches right now in a lake of fire. You know, my mom... Bless her soul. Bless her heart. My mom took in a dog. We had a dog growing up named Penny. She was crazy. I mean, she was actually crazy. Like, would spin around, like, just strong dog. I don't know how old she was. She was like a Doberman mix, and she was 17. She, we had to put her down at 17. She was an ox. You know, she used to attack my other dog. I had two dogs. I grew up thinking it was normal that people separated dogs every day, you know. They'd put the one dog out for a few hours, another dog out for a few hours. This dog, Penny, hated the other dog. If I said to the other dog, what did you do, what did you do to Noelle? She'd snarl and then start spinning and bite her own tail. She was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, this dog. Her name was Penny. My dad one time had to separate them because she got out and attacked the other dog. He grabbed her by the tail, like whipped her. Her head dented the fridge. She didn't stop. He threw her down the stairs once. She ran back out, threw her out of the house once. She sat there at the door and just waited for us to let her back in. 
All you're going to remember out of this message is Penny, but at least you got something out of it. But my mom took this dog Penny in because she saw her stranded on the side of the road. I wonder why. She took her... She was driving up Lily Pond Avenue up there by Father Cappadano in Staten Island, saw this dog and took her in. You know why? Because people pity animals. Right? You see a dog in distress. You see a cat. Oh, God bless you. Even a cat. Even a cat. Right? You see a dog in distress. You see a cat in distress. A parakeet flying into a window. I don't know. But you know, we have a pity... For animals, for beasts. And I'm not down, I'm not against that. You hurt my dog, I will shoot you. I mean, I'm just gonna be honest with you. But if you can pity a dog in distress and feel that compassion, why don't you believe your father feels for you? Amen. You're much better than a sparrow. You're different than a dog. Right? You're not a swine to him. You're 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 his son, you're his daughter, you're his child. Look at verse 14. For he knoweth our frame. Why does he have such compassion? Why does he have such patience? Why does he have such long-suffering? Why does he have this warmth towards us? For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. You know, we forget. Did you ever catch the first thing God told Adam after he sinned in the garden? You're dust, Adam. You're going to return to dust. Because pride makes us forget what we really are. God remembers what we really are. God remembers that our frame is just dust. You put a little dust on the table and go like this. You scatter it a thousand places. The Lord knows how weak we are. He knows how helpless we are. He knows how frail we are, so He cares for us, so he has pity on us, so he has compassion towards us. Aren't you glad that's what he's like? Not like a religious guy sitting up there on an ivory tower, not like a Greek god sitting there with a lightning bolt ready to play around with your life. Now, like a good father, you know what God knows? He knows your doubts. He knows your fears. He knows my infirmities. He knows them. He knows you. He knows, he remembers our frame. He knows that it's just dust. That makes him pity us. Now men have hurt you for being frail. People have taken advantage of you in your weakness. And when that happens, what happens is we start to make a God in our own image. And we start to think that people are like, God is like men. You know what men have done? They've seen that you're like dust, and they've scattered you for it. They've turned your world upside down. They've literally sent you moving in a thousand directions because they've seen how weak you are, how frail you are. How could they get something over on you? But God's not like that, right? You know what God said in the book of Hosea? He said, I am God and not man. Hosea 11, verse 9. I am God and not man. Can I tell you something that i got to tell myself every day? Your heavenly Father will never hurt you. Even though it hurts sometimes. God is not sadistic. God is not malicious. God is not a man that he should lie. Right? He says, I'm God and not man. I'm not going to do to you the things that men do to you. 
He could tell you all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, because he says, I'm working something out, son. I know you can't see out of the valley, but I'm working something out. I'm pitying you even though you don't realize it. I'm putting something upon you even though you don't realize it. You know what we got to do, and I got to do? We got to stop making God in our own image. And we got to start believing God is who he says he is. He pities us. He pities us. My little girl back there, my beautiful little girl who won that three-on-three basketball tournament yesterday with all her dream shakes and her, her drop steps and stuff like that. Oh, it, was, it was wonderful. I told him, cook them, Adriana, cook them. You know, but my little girl looks to me for help. When she does, I want to move mountains to help her. Don't you, when your little one looks to you for help? Right, even though they might be older when they're still... It, Jess, you're always going to be his little one. You're always going to be his little girl, Right? And when, 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 if she looks to you for help, I know Jack, Jack would move a mountain, right? And I know if your little girl, your little guy asks for help, even though it might be 30 years old, you know what? You'd, you'd summon every resource you had to try to help them. Amen? I mean, any parent in there could say that, amen, right? Amen. And you don't think God would do something like that? You think you're a better parent than God is? You think you're kinder than our Heavenly Father is? You think you have more compassion than the one who said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son is? Oh, shame on me. Shame on me. And that's the first thing our God wants us to know about himself, that he has pity for his children. Now let's go to the second one. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3. We're talking about God our Father. What's he like? You know what Jesus said? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know what church is about, Bible study is about? It's not accumulating facts, though you have to learn some facts. It's not about absorbing information, though you have to absorb some information. I know in the beginning it's like, wow. But you know what it's about? It's about learning the personality of the author of the book. What's he like? In Proverbs chapter 3, you see the second thing. Proverbs chapter 3 is the second thing. Number two, our father corrects his children. Right, number two, I knew I I wasn't going to get amens on that one. (laughs) Somebody got a sore butt, right? Our father corrects his children. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. You know, biblical chastening is correction. You know what that is? It's, it's, it's discipline. It's reprimand. It's sometimes rebuke. All right? Biblical chastening imply, uh, involves applying a little bit of pain to help a child see the error of his ways. It's not abuse. It's abuse not to correct your children. It's abuse to let them just go be whatever they want to be and you're just going to be their friend. You are an abuser. Because they're going to grow up to be two steps from hell because you just hated correcting them and wanted to just be their friend. Proverbs 3.11 says, Hey, don't despise the chastening, son. Don't get weary. I know what child... My, my kids are probably going to sit there and say amen inside themselves. But what child likes being corrected? What child likes the wrongdoing being pointed out? Likes being told you go in the wrong direction. Likes being told you're thinking wrong, feeling wrong, doing wrong. No child likes that. I know it happens. The eye roll. What I do this time? Or here we go again. Or 
how much is this going to hurt? You know, I know it happens. It happens. I know it's natural. You, you see why it happens? Verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, there's that phrase, as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Like a good parent, God corrects you because he loves you. Now, let's bring it down to the human level. If I didn't care about my children, I'd let them go do whatever they want. You know that? If I didn't care about my children, I'd let them go out, stay out, eat, drink, and be merry. Just do whatever you want. That's not a sign of love. Permissiveness is a sign of hatred. You understand that? The fact that I love my wife makes me want her to be only for me, makes me want to protect her, makes me want to limit her affection to anyone but me and protect anybody from admitting that, not permitting somebody else. The fact that I love my children means I'm not permissive with them. I don't let them read whatever they want to read. I don't let them watch whatever they want to want to watch. I don't let them go wherever they want to go. Now, you don't like that, and some of your endemic nature is screaming right now, but I think I'm going to stay right there because you moms and dads need to draw some fences around your kids because the enemy is more than happy to break those gates wide open and just say, take enjoy. They're trying to keep something from you. Ye shall be as gods, knowing you don't know what you're missing. And God drew a little fence around Adam and said, you can enjoy everything inside this circle Everything inside this circle is yours. Enjoy it. As long as you're under my covering, but you step out from that covering and I got to... Death is the penalty. You see it, mom and dad? You see it? They may call you strict, but give them 10 years, they'll thank you for it, right? They may call you, oh, why are you like this? You know what? When they have their kids of their own, Lord willing, you know what? They'll look back and say, wow, thank you, dad. Thank you, mom. You know what? Because I'm thankful God doesn't permit everything into my life. I'm glad God puts a little cord around me. I'm glad God says, stay inside the circle, son. Hey, hey, don't die on me now, folks. All right, don't die on me now. What's he going to talk about? Where are we going with this? I'm talking about being the right kind of parent. All right? I'm talking about being the right kind of parent that understands that boundaries are godly. That, you know, you know lines are there so you don't cross them. Amen? And if God didn't care, he'd say, just go make a mess of it. I don't really care. Doesn't stop me from being God, right? The boundaries and the spankings and maybe the accountability are born out of concern. When I was eight years old, right? You see me outside. You see me outside when it's like five o'clock at night in the afternoon. I'm still squinting. When I was eight years old, I got hit in a thorn bush with a, with, a, with a branch from a thorn bush. Big Rosa Shannon branch. Tore my left eye up. I'm legally blind in my left eye because I was messing around and my parents let me go out there and, and you know, well, my dad didn't really want me to, but my mom superseded. Uh, there's some supersessionism. But anyway, my mom uh, superseded and I went out there and I was playing around with these branches and a snapback hit me in the eye. And uh, almost lost my eye, lost the vision because I was playing with sticks I shouldn't have touched. You know, my kids grew up now, or when they were growing up, and I'd see them playing with a stick. You know what I did? I corrected them. I said, put that down. Don't do that. Or if we're going to work with something, put some safety goggles on. I'm a nut job for, like, safety goggles. I, I tell Christian when he goes to work with you, Joe, I said, bring a pair of goggles. I just don't care. Just put them on. I don't care. I don't want, you know what? Because I don't want them to lose anything. I don't want them to have to experience the pain that I experienced that I know could happen. 
And when God kind of says, hey, don't put that down, don't touch that, don't play with that, it's because he sees what you can lose. He understands that it can harm you indelibly. And when a good father or a good mother kind of says the same thing to you as they walk in the, in, the, in the ways of God, you know what? It's not because they're trying to keep you from something good. It's they're trying to protect you from something bad. Amen. Even though it looks like it might be something good, I bet that grape hanging on that vine tree looked really good in the Garden of Eden too. And in Proverbs 3.12 it says, Hey, the father does this because he delights in you. Because he delights in you. Not because he wants to destroy you. Because he, oh, if I could get that across to myself and you today. That the father's correction and the father's chastening hand is born out of delight in you. If you delight in your son, you want the very best for him. Because let me tell you something. The Lord's correction doesn't make God any more God. When God corrects you, it doesn't make him, oh, oh, I'm getting bigger, I'm getting stronger. Now he really believes in me. Yes, I'm more powerful. I am like the state puff marshmallow man. You know, that's not what happens. That's not, he doesn't keep growing, you know, when you think about him. He's always God. He says, I'm the same. My years have no end, right? But when he corrects you, and sometimes it hurts, it's not to make him better. It's to make you better. Because when God corrects you, when the Lord corrects you, He makes you more like God. If God doesn't become more like God, you become more like God. God doesn't be- get better, it makes you better. Now I know, a kid, you know, getting up from that time out, <laughs> you know, that was not, uh, maybe they didn't feel it right there or appreciate it right there, but they will. When they start seeing the difference between right and wrong and realizing that I can't just do whatever I want, I can't go wherever I want, I can't say whatever I want to say because, oh, there's a God in heaven that's going to hold me accountable for my sins. You see, Mom and Dad, that's teaching them how to be saved. The Bible says you spare your rod, you hate your child. The Bible says you beat them with the rod, you're going to save a soul from hell. How does that work? Because you're teaching them that there's a repercussion for your actions. I volunteered in prisons. You know how many guys in prison say I had no daddy? Or I had a daddy and no father, right? And they just lived a life thinking they could do whatever they wanted to do. And then they grew up and they did whatever they wanted to do and they ended up in jail. And if you live your life as a human being doing whatever you want to do, guess what? You're going to end up in God's jail. You're going to end up in hell and then a lake of fire. And the parent is there to kind of be that stopgap to teach them, hey, you may not like it, but there's an accountability for your actions. And I'm telling you because I love you. And I want the best for you. That's how God feels. That's how a parent feels or should feel for you. You know, David, right, the, uh, the great artist, is, is uh, sculpting Michelangelo. A little weird. I don't know why he had an idea to sculpt a naked dude, but he's sculpting a naked guy. Uh, it's famous, and people now go pay money to go see it. Some of you have seen it right now. You're thinking of the image right now. Right? But you know what? He's, he said, how'd you do that, Michelangelo? How'd you do that, Mike? Michelangelo's not the mutant turtle, right? Michelangelo, the artist. Right? He said, how'd you do that, Mikey? He says, oh, it was easy. I just took away everything that didn't look like David. He just, I just, you know, took away everything that didn't look like David. And our good father corrects us. Why? To get rid of anything that doesn't look like Jesus Christ. He's like, I got to get rid of some pride here, son. I got to get rid of some fear here, son. I got to get rid of some lack of faith here, son. I got to get rid of some anger here, son. Oh, that, that, that envy doesn't look like my son. 
And that's the chastening hand of God. It's not to break you. It's because God, our Father, is making a masterpiece out of you. And one day you're going to crack this shell open and all the world is going to gaze in awe. They gaze in awe at David by Michelangelo. They're going to gaze in awe as they see the glorious liberty of the sons of God come forth. And they're going to look at you and say, and they're not going to admire you. They're going to admire him and say, wow, you made that out of Pat Mishanya? You made that out of Eugene? You made that out of Liz? You made that? Yeah, yeah, I made them look just like my son. Number three. I'm hurrying here. Don't worry. Go to 1 Thessalonians 2. I feel like we needed to hear this today. Maybe I needed Maybe it was just me. Maybe I just needed to hear it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse number 10. Number 3. Or number 3. Like good friend Jim Scroy says it. Our Father teaches His children. Our Father pities His children. Our Father... Um, I didn't even know what I said. <laughs> Corrects his children. And our Father teaches his children. 1 Thessalonians 2.10 You are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. That you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Paul spent about three weeks with the Thessalonians. And he's saying that me and my companions, when we were there with you, we spent these three weeks teaching you. And, and that, that teaching the brethren, he did three things a good father does when he teaches his children. Number one, it says in verse 11, he exhorted them. You know what it means to exhort somebody? It means to provoke somebody. It means to warn somebody. It means to urge somebody. It means to advise somebody about how they should walk and live and act and behave. Paul says, we did that. Number two, he says, and we comforted you. We consoled you. We we encouraged you. We cheered you up. That's what a good father does too. Number three, he says, and we charged you. We ordered you. We commanded you. We laid some earnest requests on you guys. And folks, a philosopher who probably wasn't saved but said some pretty smart things, Confucius. Confucius said, the father who does not teach his son his duties is equally guilty with the son who neglects them. Right? And your heavenly father, like Paul, teaches you because He's trying to show you what kind of person you're supposed to be. You see, a good father tries to advise his children on how they should and should not live. That's exhortation. That's what God's doing right now. He's exhorting you. Trust me, son. Believe me, son. Rest in my love, son. Keep going for me, son. I love you, son. You know what a good father does? He also soothes his child's wounds when he fails to heed his father's advice. That's the comfort. Okay, you messed up. You're struggling. It's okay. It's okay, son. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. It's all right. I still love you. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm with you to the day of redemption. Let's try it again. That's the comfort and the strength that he tries to give us like a good father. And number three, look, it says a good father tells his children to go out there and try again. Right? He charges his, come on, son, rise up one more time. Rise, that's what a good father does. Come on. I'm thankful for a mom. But sometimes you need that father 
to put that lightning in your backbone and that fire in your bosom. You need that father to kind of inspire you and say, come on, son. Come on, man up a little bit. Let's go. Rise up one more time. Your father may have taught you how to ride a bike. All right, that's the exhortation. Right? Balance your weight, do this, do that, blah, 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 right? I forgot. I have taught bike riding a long time ago. Somebody asked me this week, how did you teach your kids to potty train? I was like, uh, I forgot. I'm just glad they all go on the toilet now, you know. It happened, though. It happened. Your father reassures you when you fall on your face. He exhorts you how to ride that bike. And then when you fall on your face, you know what your father does? It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. Hey, right? The little kid falls. Hey, that was great. Great fall. Hey, they get up. And you put him back on the bike or the horse or whatever it is, and you help him try again. That's the comfort, right? And they're a little little nervous now because the last time I fell, Dad, you know what the father does? The father provokes you to get out there and try again. That's the charge. That's the admonition. That's the challenge that a good father gives. Look, 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 look. Look, look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. You know this book here? This book here contains 1,189 chapters. You know what those 1,189 chapters are? They're exhortations of our Father urging us to live right. Just man, look, right here is some sprinkled right on the level here. Verse 14, 514. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. You know what all that is? Those are exhortations on how to live. That's God saying, here's how you live this Christian life I've given you. That's God, he says in verse 14, exhorting us. Paul did it for the Thessalonians, and God's doing it to you through the Holy Spirit, writing those words down. That's part of what the Father does. He exhorts you, he provokes you, he incites you to live right. Not live like a hog. Not, you know, I'm going to heaven, but I live like hell. That's not the way we should be, my brethren. And the Father has the right to tell you those things. That's what a good father does. You know what this book also has in it? I'm thankful. These blessed words are a source of comfort from our Father. They kind of... Is there a bomb in Gilead? Oh yeah, there's a bomb in Gilead. (laughs) How many times have I literally laid my head on this book and it caught my tears? You say, you're really into that book. Well, what are you into? Your friend's advice? YouTube, you know, what some guy says who's got a, you know, a podcast. You know, I, I might mean well, but I got somebody who's telling me the truth here Amen. that pities me, that correct, corrects me out of care and love and concern, that knows what tomorrow brings if tomorrow comes. You know what? I sometimes wish I could climb into that book. Amen. Just wish I could just climb right into it and just get closer. But I can't lean my head on his breast at supper like the living word with John the Apostle, so I lean my head on the breast of Psalms or the breast of John or the breast of you know, Isaiah or First Thessalonians, wherever I'm reading, and I just lay my head on there sometimes. You call me crazy. Call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. Right? Whatever it is, right? First Thessalonians 5.8. But let us who are of the day, are you, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. 
For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Woo! That's comfort. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. That's not talking about the salvation of your soul. That's talking about the salvation of your body. That's talking about Jesus Christ getting you out of here one day very soon. That's talking about when it's about to hit the fan. God says, let me get my bride out of here real fast before it hits the fan. That's what he's talking about right there. He says, that's the salvation. Then he says in verse 11, wherefore, because he's coming for you, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. I mean, at the end of the previous chapter four, we're not going to read the whole thing, but when he does that whole treatise on the Lord coming back for his people, he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hey, who inspires the scripture? What's his name? The comforter. The comforter is come. He came and he lives inside you, but he wrote these words. He inspired these words. That's a quinky dink, isn't it? That the one that Jesus said would come and inspire his words is called the comforter. These words are supposed to comfort us, not beat us down, but build us up, not make us depressed, but help us have some hope. And lastly, these pages are a charge to rise up one more time and fight for the Lord Jesus. See, the, see verse 27? He says, I charge you. All right, this book has charges in it. I charge you. Go to 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6. Paul gave Timothy all kinds of charges because he was a soldier. He said, Timothy, you want to fight, Timothy? 1 Timothy 6, 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge. In the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that's Paul doing? That's Paul reaching across that parchment, grabbing Timothy by the nose and pulling him in close, saying, Hey boy, Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. You better not drop the ball on him. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ stood before Pontius Pilate, that pagan loser, that pagan infidel who had him handcuffed up there and said, oh, I have power to kill you. And Jesus Christ witnessed a good confession. Jesus Christ kept his testimony. Hey, Timothy, when they're all against you, Timothy, are you going to keep your testimony, Timothy? I give thee charge. We do that sometimes at youth camps, right? They'll give a charge in the morning. They give you, you know what that is? Man up, son, and do right. Jesus is worthy. That's what it's about. It's not all this, I'm going to say not a nice word, all this lace underwear Christianity, all this like soft, you know, relevance. No, you know what? He got his back whipped and his beard ripped out. You know, the least you could do is try to live five seconds for him, you ungrateful pig, right? That's what it's like. That's, 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 that's what I see there. I say, hey, Timothy, dry your tears up, son. All right, I know you're scared. I know, but hey, Jesus Christ went up against a lot for you. You can go up against a little bit for him. Right? I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to you. I'm not angry. Look at 2 Timothy. That's a charge. I'm just, I'm just demonstrating what a charge is. Right? That drill sergeant gives you a charge. He doesn't walk in and say, Fellas, the bad guys are out there. 
you got those guns. Be careful with those guns. If you see the whites of their eyes, implement them with the metal that proceeds from the barrel of your implement. Right? No, he says, he'll just get up there and say, let's give them hell, let's go live. You know, they'll just start yelling in your face and kind of get your blood going and say, let's go. You know, we say that, right? Kids say that, right? They say that when they do something in a video game. Let's go. They say it at a basketball court. Let's go. Hey, you know what God says to you? Let's go. That's a charge. 2 Timothy 4.1. 2 Timothy 4.1. There he says it again to him. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead is appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. So the question becomes, that's a charge. Are you listening to your father's counsel? Or are you taking someone else's advice? You seek in your father's comfort, turning to other voices for support. Answering your father's call, trying to ignore the charge he's given you. Our father is always trying to teach his children. The question is, are you staying teachable? Hard to teach teachability. You know, one of the greatest abilities in the ministry is teachability. That's a great one. And lastly, and I'll make this one short because I went way too long on that point here, but go to 1 Timothy 5. I'll give you this last one, the fourth one. Thank you for indulging me a little bit here. Be my Father's Day present and don't get mad at me if I go a little bit, all right? If I go a little bit past, I'm going to go. I'm going to hurry. Don't worry. But you know what? The last thing I want to say is this, and this is the one that makes the fourfold mention really interesting. Our Father uh, pities His children, corrects His children, teaches his children, and last, but certainly not to be the least, our Father hears his children. You see, in a fourfold mention, when you find things grouped in four, it's like God laying a foundation. And when they used to lay foundations, they'd have a cornerstone, which means three of them would be one way, but one would be a very special corner. So when you find a fourfold mention in your Bible... Like the word anchor appears four times. Like there's four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very different than John. John is a cornerstone. John is about the identity of Christ as the Son of God. It sheds light on Matthew, which shows him as the King of the Jews. It sheds light on Mark, which shows him as the servant of servants. It sheds light on Luke, which shows him as the Son of Man. John becomes that cornerstone, like, wow, the King of the Jews and the servant of servants and the Son of Man was God manifest in the flesh. And that cornerstone makes you appreciate and be able to orient, orientate, I should say, the other three corners. And so in this fourfold mention of as a father, three of them have to do with how God relates to you. He pities you. He corrects you. He teaches you. One of them has to do with how you relate to God. He listens to you when you talk to him. And in 1 Timothy 5.1 it says, Rebuke not an elder but entreat him as a father. You know what you do with a father? You entreat a father. You know what it means to entreat a father? It means you plead with him. You make your request unto him. You pray to him. That's what Jesus said, right? Ask my father in my name. You know... I didn't enjoy talking to my dad too much before I got saved. I was a jerk. 
I'd sit at the breakfast table and stick the cereal box between us because I didn't want to have him look at me because I was just a grouchy morning person. Now I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. There's the irony. But you know what? After I got saved, those ride homes from dialysis, I enjoyed talking to him. Enjoyed hearing the stories. Enjoyed hearing his heart. Enjoyed hearing his fears. Enjoyed him being vulnerable with me when I was always the vulnerable one. And can I tell you something? If you're saved, something inside of you should enjoy being alone and just talking to your Heavenly Father. Sharing your joys. Pouring out your fears. Not just giving him the laundry less, like take care of me today, Father, but just actually talking with him. Not just, I need this, God, bless this food, God. It's like, Lord, I don't know what's going on over here. Or, I don't know what's happening over there. Or, Lord, you know, can you help me with this? Or thank you for that, Father. I really appreciate this. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? You know how he told them to start, right? Our Father. Oh, doctor. I know the doctrine. Thanks. I know that's a Jewish prayer for a millennial kingdom they're looking for. Thanks. Can we make it human right now? You know, he says, you want to pray to God? You know how you start? God. No. Judge of all the earth. Third, third, third. You know. Alpha and Omega. Yeah, yeah. No, he says, Father, Amen. our Father, Heavenly Father. Can you go to Romans 8? It's my last verse. Romans 8. I'll get you in time for the burger. I'm going to try. I don't want to, you know, I know it's a big day. I know people got plans. I understand that. I'm not, I'm not even making fun of that. I get it. Romans 8, 14. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You a son of God today? Amen. Okay. That means the Spirit of God lives inside of you. He's trying to draw you to Jesus Christ a little closer. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You're not back under the devil's thumb anymore. You're not his anymore. But the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, we reach out, we entreat, we pray, we plead, we call Abba, Father. If you're saved, you're not just talking to the judge, 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 judge. You're not just talking to God. You're talking to Dad. You're talking to Abba. You're talking to your Father. So can I go back over this message here, please? And when you feel weak, you don't understand His pity, why don't you talk to Dad about it? You know, why don't you shut everything out, put your phone away, Take the walk, take the drive, have the seat, go outside, and just talk to him. See if he doesn't give you a verse or a piece or something. If you're wondering if God is correcting you, and you say, Lord, I'm going through something, Lord, why not ask Abba, what's going on? Abba, Father, what's the deal? What's happening here, Lord? Did I do something? Have I offended you? Is this the purifying fire? Is this the chastening hand? What's going on here, Lord? And for instruction and comfort and courage, you know what you got to do? You got to talk to Daddy. Yeah. 
You got to talk to daddy. That's not irreverent for me to say that. That's Bible for me to say that because Abba means daddy. I mean, it's an intimate title for dad. You know what you got to do? You got to talk to daddy. You know, my kids might want to do something and one of my other kids, you got to talk to daddy about that. Yeah, you might be thinking, you got to talk to daddy about that. Because you might be thinking about doing something or doing something and you haven't talked to daddy in a long time. You might be a thousand miles away from where daddy wants you to be and what dad wants you to do. Does that make you uncomfortable for me to be so familiar with God? That's how familiar you should be with him. The Bible says, because he has sent the spirit of his son, he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit of Jesus Christ cried upon him and called upon him with that intimate relationship. And that's the spirit that's inside you today. It wants to call upon him like that. It wants to continue all night in prayer to him. It wants to go to a garden and just pour out the fears and say, nevertheless, that's the spirit that lives inside you today. Are you talking to him at all? How could you have a relationship with him if you're not talking to him? Amen. You say, I want revival. I want strength. I want to go forward. I want victory. I want this. I want that. Have you talked to dad about it? That's what you do when you relate to God. That's what you do. I can't reach out and grab him. I'd love to. Oh, I'd love to hear his audible voice. I'd love to. I mean, I could read the Bible out loud. I get it. But I just really would like to hear, come up hither. Amen. My goodness. I'd like to hear. Maybe not. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not there yet. But I'd like to hear it. Amen. But you know where it all starts? You got to talk to daddy. You got to talk to dad. You got to talk to Abba. Somebody said one time, to desire revival and at the same time neglect personal prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another. You can't wish for these things and not talk to the one who makes it all possible. Like the old spiritual said, just a little talk with Jesus and I'll be right. Amen. You talking to him? Have you talked? When's the last time you talked to him? I don't mean God protect me on the road today, that 15 second blip you did when you got in the car so you didn't crash or wrap around a pole somewhere. I mean like, Lord, here I am. Let's talk. I'm glad I know God is a father. I'm glad, aren't you? Right? He's, got the, he's out there. Right? He's got that position among the Godhead. I'm glad. And I'm blessed to know that God is the father. He has responsibilities. He's not a deadbeat dad. He's not like anybody else. He's that singular, unique father that I have. He's got the power to save me and do all these things for me. He is the only one I need. I'm glad about that. But I'm able to grow and I'm able to thrive. And I'm able to, lay I'm able to go on another day when I will lay hold of the fact that God is our Father. That God is my Father. God is your Father. You know what that is? That's personal. That's how you have a relationship with God. When you get to a place where you could truly say, He is mine, and I am His. So, do you know that if you're saved, God is your Father? And God may be our Father today, but is God your Father? You heard about God, our Father, and I'm speaking of us corporately, we might have, because I think we've, many of us here have called upon Jesus Christ, the Savior, which makes God our Father, His church, but you know what? Is God your Father today? Has God forgiven your sin? 
Have you received God's Son? Let's bow our heads and pray.